Hey, folks, I'm Tom. KJ here. You've heard this before, but we're new and improved now, and so is the Dunlap Champions Club. It's back for another year. You know that. By now, if you have not been in there, I don't know what you've been doing, but we will remind you, this is always the best time to test drive. If you want to check it out, we have the spring game coming up April 18th, followed by a concert. Uh, good pricing to get in and see what you've been missing. A reserved chairback seat, access to indoor air-conditioned areas, always a good thing. All-inclusive food and soft drinks starting two hours before kickoff. Access, I love this part, to adult beverages and more. Funny that you would be the one to bring that up. Uh, the home schedule this year, obviously, when we get to the, the fall portion, uh, the, the meat of the actual football season, I guess I should say. Clemson and Florida are on the docket. Pitt coming to town for basically the first time since uh, since KJ played. Well, I guess shortly after you uh should we say retired? Finished. I, I wish finished. That's good. Finished. Anyway, uh, as far as the spring game goes, again, 5 o'clock kick on April 18th. And if you're a, a booster member already, a, a ticket holder in the Dunlap Champions Club, it's just 60 bucks to get in for that. Uh, if not, $80. But either way, uh, particularly if you're general public and have not sampled the Dunlap Champions Club, Champions Club it's the best way to do it. You Six, can schedule a private tour as well. So if you don't want to, if you want to buy after seeing, you can go in, take a good look, walk around, see what's going on. It's a big place, twenty thousand square feet of space, uh, can handle up to five hundred folks. If you've got other plans for other types of events that you want to schedule, it's worth the visit. Six four four eighteen thirty is the number to call. Now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. It is uh, your favorite time of the week, also known as Front Row Knowles. Keith, how are you, sir? I am doing well, Tommy. How about you and yours? I am making it. I am making it. It's getting a little bit to be Groundhog Day, as we've referenced previously, but it is what it is. I'm making do. And fortunately, the family is healthy, so I'm really not going to complain. We all want to know when we're going to go back to normal. People who listen to this show want to know when we're going to play football. So why don't we start there, Keith? Tell the folks when we're going to play football. We're going to play football when they tell us we can play football. Well, I was hoping for something better than that, but that is an accurate statement. (laughs) I I get more optimistic. I do get more optimistic, Tommy. You've got uh, several schools that have talked about uh, classes meeting face-to-face in the fall, which I think we established, at least from our perspective with West Durham last week, that most of the commissioners of the of the major conferences believe that it is a student athlete, not an athlete student. So you won't be doing anything unless school is in session and more schools are talking about they might be. And I think once we get a little momentum going, I'm just going to say we're, I'm going to stay positive and we get a little opening. We do it phased or however they do it. And we get into May, we get into June and, and maybe things will look promising again. To be clear, Florida State has not made an announcement that students will be back yet in the fall. But nationally, when you look at it, and obviously the pandemic is affecting different parts of the country in different ways. But in the last week to 10 days, you've had, I think it's an interim president at OU at Oklahoma, who said that they fully intend to have students back. Oregon has said they plan on having students on campus, Washington State, Missouri, East Carolina. So the list is growing larger. And it feels like every time somebody else goes out there and adds their name, it's more likely that another school will in turn follow suit because their strength in numbers, sort of a herd mentality thing. 
not that a herd mentality should drive the decisions of institutions, but there are more and more out there. So that is more promising related to playing some sort of football in the fall as compared to just pushing it all the way back to the spring. Yeah, and and I think your comment about the herd mentality isn't necessarily negative. It's that there is, as you mentioned, strength in numbers. And if if A and B and C are doing it and I'm school D, uh, I might be more inclined to do it than if A or B and C say they're not going to do it and then I try to be the maverick. So let's, when I talk about the fall, let's look at this. The NCAA Football Oversight Committee has suggested a six-week period before programs can return to play. That's according to Brett McMurphy. There's probably other people that have that out there now. Still needs to be approved by the NCAA COVID-19 advisory panel. But if we just work from the premise that they're going to go with a six-week acclimation or conditioning, whatever you want to call that period, to keep the season starting on time, which would be the week before Labor Day for some and the Saturday of Labor Day weekend for FSU, you're looking at a report date of July 20th, July 27th, somewhere in the last 10 days of July. I don't think that one's feasible. To me, I feel like we're at the point where we're, we're more apt to, is it feasible? Okay, backing up. Yes, that's still feasible, but I think it's more likely you would look at having players report student-athletes begin about the same time regular students come back, which would be more like mid-August and would put us in a October 1 time frame for game one. What do you think? Completely disagree with you. You bring the kids in two weeks early, there's not a problem in the world with doing that. Open up the training table, get the dorm opened up. They're there for 14 days. I used to report on August 15th, and school didn't start till September 15th. Currently, Florida State has said that summer courses are closed or canceled, and part of that in the same release, no congregations of 10 or more people until at least August 2nd. So FSU has already stated that you couldn't have 10 or more people until August 2nd, which means – That can be changed. It could be. It could be. But if we work from where they currently are, that would get to September 15th. So what I hear – All right, let's let's have everybody report to uh, IMG down in uh, Orlando. Well, we've got budget issues that may not allow that one, KJ. <laughs> I, hate to I told you, I'm trying to be optimistic here, Tommy. I know, and I'm trying to be realist, not pessimistic. Um, what I hear you saying is you're more, we're both more optimistic about it than we were certainly in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Very much so. Let's work from this premise. We don't know when the start date will be, but if we just throw out October 1st or the month of October, how do you handle the schedule? You just say goodbye to the non-conference and then you have to shuffle the deck in terms of your conference games? Non-conference. Well, see, that's why, that's why I think if the only obstacle for playing the season the way it's supposed to start is you're going to bring in 105 kids 10 to 14 days early, again, talking specifically about Florida State, then you don't have to change anything. How many things are you going to change? you got 12 games in the regular season. Do you change all 12 of them? Do you change the first three and put them on the end so you at least keep nine of them the same? As you mentioned, do you eliminate the non-conference? Well, now you got contractual issues. And I don't know what those contracts say and how it works out, i.e. Florida, the kickoff game and the Chick-fil-A Bowl in, in Atlanta. I would think that you would want to change the least number of things as opposed to changing everything. But that's really me just thinking about it for the first time. 
Well, and there's different circumstances with each. So take the game in Atlanta. The reason Florida State's playing that game is it comes with a nice payday. Well, if nobody's planning to attend the game because they don't want to gather in mass, that payday, I mean, I don't know. If FSU and West Virginia agree to show up, does that mean that you still have to hold the Chick-fil-A folks to that number, even though they can't support that number based on attendance? Well, let's think about something, though. We talked last week about the fact that the NFL, because of the television contract, can probably play games without folks in the stands and still make money. But the college game is very dominant upon attendance and the corresponding booster money. So they probably can't make money playing games without. Would not the Chick-fil-A ball maybe fall in between? So I I don't know. I don't know. I I think it would. What I'm saying is I don't know, and I don't recall the number offhand, but hypothetically four or five mil is what FSU is supposed to get for that. I don't know if Chick-fil-A, those folks can can pay that if they don't have people there just based on the TV money. But if you're FSU – Based on the number of people in the drive-in on Capital Circle Northeast – Chick-fil-A is doing okay. Based on that number, we should just play the game in the parking lot at at Chick-fil-A Capital Circle Northeast. Probably so. What I was going to say is if you're in FSU's position, even if they got on the phone and called you and said, look, we can only make half the number, Florida State would say, well, half is more than zero, and we'll take half right now and go play the game. So then you come back, you have Sanford. becomes a question of whether FSU is having congregations of crowds on campus. And if school's in session, then I guess the answer is yes, if everybody's back. The Boise trip, Boise already played the front half of that. People have wanted that series to go away forever. If you're in a scenario where you're starting the season on time, I think you have to play it. You return the game. It's all friendly folks, so to speak. It's people you know that are on the charter out there. And so in that scenario, I guess you do proceed as normal. I just I don't think we're going to proceed. I think that's absolute best case that we would start on time. And, and I agree. I agree. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that the season will be played in 2020. More hopeful that it'll be played in 2020 as opposed to pushing it to 2021. How about that? Yeah, and I think the more likely scenario is going back to we start in October, so now you're not playing West Virginia. You're skipping the Sanford game. You're not playing Boise. But when you say start in October, you could leave your schedule the same but you're missing a conference game from the end of September, so you're not playing a full slate. Or if you're the ACC, you go back to the drawing board and you really put all the, the formulas in there into the machine that spits out a schedule and you produce a new schedule based on conference games only from October 1 to, say, mid-December. And I'm just using that time frame because if you play eight, nine games, but you end in mid-December, you can still keep the bowl system intact which means bowls could still be played and generate some TV dollars and revenue and have that. If you get into a scenario where you're trying to play a full season start in October 1 and it runs through December, I don't know how you can get all those bowls rescheduled into January and make that work. I I don't either. It becomes a logistical nightmare. And as I said earlier, I think from just a planning standpoint, you'd you'd want to change the first three or four, however many it took, and keep the other eight or nine where they're at. But we'll just have to wait and see. I will say if we're playing football, and it's a home game this year for Florida State, FSU and Florida need to find a way to play that game. Wherever it falls on the schedule, however it looks, if you got to play Tuesday to get that game in somehow, go ahead and play the game. I mean, if we're in a scenario where, from a health standpoint, we're playing football. 
given uh, the disparity over the last couple of years, there will be a significant number of FSU fans that would not be disappointed in not playing the Gators this year. But that's another conversation for another day. Well, I'm the one who pointed out Florida State and Clemson are scheduled to play October 9th. So if we want to stay to start the season on October 10th, that might not be a bad thing. <laughs> so you know what is a good thing? Laura and I, we actually had a date night during this pandemic uh, the uh, earlier this week. And I went to Madison Social. I got the buffalo chicken salad. She just got a Madso burger. And then we went to Cascades Park and we properly distanced. And it felt good to be out of the house and off the block. I really can't call it an estate, but we'll call it the block property and be somewhere else. But kudos to Madso. Well, it was seamless. I, I, did, I didn't do Madso, but just so our listeners will know that you and I do think alike. Uh, Kathy rode down, and I rode down to the beach to check on our beach house this weekend. And we went to a local restaurant in Port St. Joe and got takeout and went to the, what's called the point out by the old marina in St. Joe. And we didn't, we didn't get outside. We sat in the car and rolled the windows down and listened to the radio and, uh, and a couple of uh, birds chirping at us because they wanted to French fry. And uh, that was our date night on Saturday night. Well, congratulations. I'm glad we're both doing well, and I'm sure our listeners are happy that they just spent a minute and a half of their lives listening to how we spent our weekend. By the way, didn't I just, that just means I officially did my first tweet, right? Something like that. We are going to <laughs> welcome in our Osceola Insider momentarily, and we'll move the conversation forward. It is commencement week at Florida State, and boy, Unfortunately, it's not the commencement that anybody signed up for. The Osceola's got a story on some Florida State student-athletes, current and former, who are going to earn their degrees this week. That conversation, plus Jameis Winston to the Saints. You know what the joke there is, don't you, Keith? I'm listening. You can't spell Saints without I-N-T. And he's got 33 of them to parcel out for you. Well, I think he stopped at 30 last year, but he is still he is still playing in the league, so we'll see. No, that's an interesting dynamic, given that my wife is a Saints fan. So uh, we'll get to that later on uh, with a guy who covers the Saints and the Bucks, and we'll have some insight on that. Stay with us. We're just getting fired up here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Tom KJ and our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante, with you as uh, we kick off the segment. Hey, Bob, how are you? Doing well, gentlemen. How are you guys? Good. Everybody's hair getting a little longer, a little grayer. We're still uh, surviving, though. Bob, uh, interesting – well, not interesting, but David Coburn, the director of athletics, sent an email to Florida State faithful on Tuesday. Did you uh, – what did you glean from it? It really was a – Look, we know it's not easy, but don't worry. We're working hard. They tell us uh, that we can. We got a green light. We're going to be right at the start line and ready to go. That was what my biggest takeaway was. Completely agree. I think the big takeaway was when we're given the green light, when it's safe, we're going to be ready to go. And I think he praised just about everybody from the resiliency of the student athletes to the, the hard work of 
you know, academics, nutrition, sports information, strength and conditioning, uh, information technology, getting everybody set up remotely. That's one of the biggest challenges these days, I think, for so many people. But I, I think it was an opportunity for him to, you know, pat everybody on the back and say, we are working hard. We're trying to, to think about how to connect everybody. And yeah, financially, I think he, he reiterated the challenges that they have. And, you know, of course, the 2020-21 fiscal year will be very, very difficult, um, whether they play football with a bunch of fans in the stands or, or not. And that remains to be seen. But I think it was a very well-written and uh, timely letter from Coburn to fans because they, they need that kind of detailed update of, as far as what's going on with FSU Athletics. I think the one thing that was interesting in light of some of the other stories that are coming out in the last days and week uh, did not mention budget cuts or, you know, the high profile guys taking pay cuts and, and ladies taking pay cuts, that type of thing. Um, I, what'd you make of that? I'm a little bit surprised that Florida state has not announced anything yet, just because as you mentioned, schools like Syracuse and Louisville, as well as others around the country have already done so. You know, 10% seems to be a number that a lot of schools have asked uh, football coaches, men's basketball coaches to do. Boise has done furloughs. I would say that this is to come probably down the road for a lot of high-earning, multimillion-dollar head coaches. It's really unavoidable. I, from what I understand short-term, this 2019-20 fiscal year that's being wrapped up, Florida State isn't very much concerned about the ACC distribution being potentially 2.5 million short. They think they can make that up because there wasn't as much travel in spring with with baseball, softball, all those sports. Uh, no recruiting by coaches, so you're not spending all that money, you know, going out and pursuing recruits or doing it over Zoom and FaceTime and such. So short term financial implications, you know, as we wrap up this fiscal year. Not a big concern for FSU, but I, I do think it's almost unavoidable that some people are going to have to accept it could be a pay cut, it could be a furlough, it could be potentially do you try and defer some type of income down the road to a back end of a coach's contract? I think those are going to be very difficult conversations for sure. As somebody who works at the university, there's obviously concern that could extend well beyond athletics, given the unknowns right now. I do think they feel confident with this current fiscal year, but May 11th is the date that the state of Florida will find out a lot more because that's when the sales tax revenue projections or actuals will come in from the month of March and April. And I don't know how long after that, but the governor will have to dig into the budget and ultimately they're going to have to have another special session to figure out what the what the budget for the state looks like next year. But bringing it back closer to, to Florida State, Bob, there has been more positive news. Keith and I talked about this in the first segment in terms of multiple institutions now have gone out and said that they fully intend to have, they might have not have used the word fully, but they've given the idea that they are intending to have students back on campus in the fall. And ones that I can think of that I mentioned in the first segment, OU, uh, Oregon, Washington State, Missouri, East Carolina. I'm probably leaving out a few, but it's, start, it's, it's more than a handful now that have said that students will be back, which is significant because it's been clear that football in any sports is not going to be played if you don't have students on campus. So part one of the equation is you have to get the students back, and it seems like maybe we're closer. So who really knows? I think administrators are kind of operating 
under that assumption that they can have students back in four states case will be August 2nd. They hope if things go you know, down this path, if we are starting to see a flattening of the curve and it's not going fast enough in, in a lot of regards, but if we can get students, not just student athletes back on campus in early August, we can get, you know, athletes in all sports back pretty soon. And I'm not completely convinced that we see an athletic season that begins on schedule because in the example of like women's soccer, they start earliest. They're kind of mid August. I don't see that being realistic. Football might see a delay too. We'll have to see how all this plays out, but I think we're seeing some encouraging signs that, you know, again, as, as much as we're not enjoying staying home, we are doing it in mass. We are staying safe. And I think we're starting to see some, I hate to call it positive results, but you know, that those sacrifices are, are lending toward the future that, that might be more positive, I guess. So, We'll ask you this question every week going forward, Bob. When's football season going to start? We'll just make it – we'll make that the first question every week from here on out. <laughs> you know, I, I still feel like October 1 ha- has the best feel to it. I, I think that's not just Florida State standpoint, but across college football. If you can get a lot of games in starting in, in October, I, I think you can jam in – maybe 11 games, maybe 12 is just too hard. Cause I, I do think you have to build in a bye week for these athletes because it's going to be a tight time frame getting everybody's body up to speed through conditioning. I'm not wild about bringing back two a days and I'm, I'm sure KJ has an opinion on it, but in my view, I realistically think you can play that first weekend of October and start over. And, and maybe that's Florida state, West Virginia, uh, Pat Burnham and I have kind of disagreed. He feels like maybe Florida State and, and Clemson might be that first or second game. They're going to, you know, kind of move the schedule around. I have no idea how all that's going to play out. But I, I think they're going to try to do everything they can when it's safe to play as much of a full college football season as possible. Ideally, 11 or 12 regular season games before you move into a postseason and a bowl season that. It could be just a bunch of bowl games throughout January. We talked about a little bit about the six-week window that uh, is going to be proposed. And, and, Tom, you and I didn't get into it. I, I don't think that's viable either. Uh, I think six weeks is not necessary. I think you can bring them back in four weeks and, and get them ready. But, you know, it, it all depends on how it lines up because if six weeks does become the mandatory – then, you know, from the time you start, then you got to start planning. And, you know, a lot of this is going to be more along the lines of being dictated to you as opposed to what you wish for. And I know you guys asked Josh Storms this with uh, Four State Strength and Conditioning. We asked him the question, too, how much time would you like to have? Can you condense that timeline? And he's been very careful not to put a time frame on it. I think – And the NCAA, we have to remind ourselves, the NCAA isn't just a bunch of people in an office. It's the schools kind of in a group saying, here's what we're going to do. But if the decision is six weeks, that definitely pushes college football and a lot of sports well into October. And you have to battle the cold. I mean, what are these Big Ten schools going to do? I think they have dome stadiums all over the country. I've mentioned this in the past. You can do it. 
with, say, Minneapolis, with Detroit, Indianapolis. You could even bring some schools down and, and make a play football in, in Florida or Arizona. It'll be like spring training. So I think there are solutions if the NCAA does say you need six weeks without, you know, getting a lot of these strength and conditioning folks on the record. I, I haven't tried to, you know, catch some people on background and say, look, what do you think you could get by safely? And I think in the end, it, it's got to be done in the right interest of the student athlete. What is safe for them so that we're not causing injury because we're forcing people to come back and, and be prepared to play a high level so fast. A lot of, lot of things we got to work out here, but we do have time. I mean, this is late April. We have time to discuss what makes sense. And I, I think it's good that we're kind of having these discussions now because we can really debate them and then be ready when the times come to say, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're talking with Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider. I encourage you to go to the Osceola.com. Get some information on how you can subscribe and get insight like this from Bob and Pat Burnham, Jerry Kutz, and the rest of the gang at the Osceola. Here's something we haven't talked a lot about, but it feels like it could happen, especially in a conference that's as geographically spread out as what the ACC is. What if a couple of states are not open for business? What if Massachusetts and Virginia say, no, our students aren't going back, but the rest of the league is? So do you even have divisions in the ACC? Do you just put whichever schools are going to play into a hat and you play a round robin? It just feels like everything's on the table and there's going to be some schools, whether it's ACC or other, who may not play. So one suggestion has been, you know, maybe you do pods so that you can do an, an ACC schedule. Potentially that's geographically based. So perhaps Florida State is, is mixed in with, you know, Miami, Georgia Tech, Clemson, a couple of those Carolina schools. Maybe Florida State still plays ACC opponents, but like you said, not a Boston College, um, not a Virginia, Virginia Tech. And I think this is where you can more easily manipulate the schedule in the Olympic sports. In football, you're almost locked in unless you can swap out a game for a game. But I think in Olympic sports, there's money to be saved. If, for example, Florida State's not traveling to Syracuse, Pittsburgh, uh, South Bend, Indiana, Boston College, you can play nearby schools. You can reduce for one year the number of ACC contests you're playing. There's cost savings there, and it may not be significant, but it may be a lot safer, and it may save your budget in areas. So I like to think that when you talk about scheduling, this is a blank slate, and you can just come up with any crazy idea you want and say this is a one-year solution. And I think that's what they're going to do. I really think they're going to be open to just about any idea and trying to make this work. Well, certainly creativity is going to be necessary, uh, both in terms of managing the budget as well as the schedules. Um, we were supposed to have graduation this weekend. I didn't walk because I chose not to. What do you think that means to some of the athletes that are graduating? Is that a missed opportunity? You think they'll come back when, when or if Florida State has an actual physical graduation? What are you hearing on the streets? Yeah, I think it was announced Florida State's going to do a, a virtual graduation where uh, Professor Ziegler will announce everybody, you know, through an FSU site. I think it's a really nice gesture. But also, down the road, they should plan something, whether that's in December or next April, bring everybody back for a reunion weekend, maybe have a special ceremony. 
you know, for student athletes, for the students who want to come back for, for whoever who wants to have that moment where they can walk across the stage and hear professor announce their name, shake president Thrasher's hand, you know, have, have their relatives in the stands. Cause it, it's as much a day about a graduate as for those parents and those, uh, you know, girlfriends and boyfriends and all. So I think people, again, will see an opportunity to welcome everybody back to campus. I think it's just a question of, like everything else, when is it safe? Is it December? Is it next spring? I think I think those plans will, will definitely be in the works in the future. I think the university is already working on something for next April for students in general. Not Not the same weekend as when commencement would be you know, last week in April or first week in May of 2021. So I think that's, that's on the table. Bob, what else to note as we uh, wrap up? I know it's, uh, I, I keep using the expression Groundhog Day. That's what it feels like here as we, uh, as we wait for an actual game or event to talk about. Cam Akers went in the draft. I mean, that wasn't a surprise. I think he's got a bright future ahead. I was happy for Cam Akers. I think it's a really good fit out for him in LA with the Rams. Sean McVay is a young, innovative head coach who, I think he's going to utilize Cam's strengths as a, you know, I think he's a very good receiver. I think he's an incredibly good runner. He's, you know, as physical as you can expect from, from a back his size. He's, again, not the biggest guy, but very capable. I'm happy for Cam Akers. I think a lot of people are lamenting only one draft pick from Florida State, but remind yourself, Tamari and Terry and Marvin Wilson are back. You could have lost those two guys and had three draft picks, or you can have them back in, in 2020. and and see how they can kind of shape the start of the Mike Norvell era. And I think that's the other thing. Memphis uh, had three draft picks. So Coach Norvell has kind of shown you that he's found some under-the-radar prospects. He's developed them. And they've turned into NFL you know, caliber prospects. So good things to see, I think, as far as Norvell's ability to develop. And he's going to have, I think, some really good NFL-ready talent in guys like Terry Wilson. Hampson Nasrodine potentially could have come out if he had not um, gotten injured against Florida. So I, I think he's got a, a good amount of talent there to develop for the future. I reminded one of my good friends earlier this week, though, Bob, there's a reason why you win six or seven ball games a year and not 10 or 12, and that gets reflected in the NFL draft. Yeah, I think it's a reflection of, of a lot of things from – you know, let's call out, you know, yet again, Jimbo Fisher and, and his, you know, recruiting mistakes and, and how he, you know, left the program in 2017, kind of gave up on recruiting Coach Taggart and, and development of a lot of players that, that just didn't happen there. It's, of course, going to be a source of frustration. I, I think when you win six games, you're probably not going to see a lot of guys drafted. I think as we saw with this draft, the majority of the players – I think it was about 35 out of the first 105 or 110 players came from the playoff teams plus Alabama. You know, NFL teams are targeting not just those high-end prospects, but the schools are developing that talent and those players that have that championship mentality. And, and Florida State, to a certain extent, has to get that back. You know, we have to see Coach Norvell. I think he will do it. What we saw in just a few spring practices they are dedicated to technique and teaching fundamentals. I think we'll see smarter players. I think it'll result in wins. And the NFL teams will take notice. They will see, again, guys like Wilson and Terry and Hamsa. If they see better play, if they see guys aren't making mistakes and committing penalties and, and personal fouls and such, 
NFL teams will realize that's a smart guy. That's a guy that I want. That's a guy I'm going to invest in and pay him and want to develop. So, yeah, it's frustrating. I, I definitely understand and hear it from a lot of FSU fans. Just one guy was drafted. But I, I do think we'll see that number start to climb in 2021 and for years beyond. Bob, we appreciate it as always. The good news to your point is that the last two times FSU had one guy drafted, they followed it up with a 14-year run in the top four. And after the 09 draft, it was in short order after that that they were back on the top of the mountain, so to speak. So it can be done, and there's a history here. Appreciate it. You can catch Bob Ferranti at the Osceola. We'll take a break. Come back with more on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Thanks to Bob Ferrante from the Osceola. He joined us via the Earl Bacon Agency Hotline, as does our next guest, the Earl Bacon Agency Hotline, ensuring your future together. An old friend is back in the neighborhood, Mike Neighbors. If you're old school Tallahassee, you remember the glorious 10-month run that was blocking neighbors at WTXL. How are you, Mike? Good to be on with you guys. I'm great. How are you? Doing well. Mike has gone on. He's in the Tampa area, but has been – the sports TV or Saints TV host with Cox Sports Television in New Orleans for a number of years. You basically, timing in life is everything, Mike, and you showed up about the same time Drew Brees showed up, if memory serves, on that deal. Yeah, this is why you never know in sports what's going to happen, because I started right after Katrina. It was 2006. They signed some guy named Brees who had a banged-up shoulder, and then all of a sudden they draft Reggie Bush. It was a horrible preseason, but after that, things have worked out pretty well for the most part. And, Mike, uh, of course, you had 10 months with Tom Block, and I'm now working on 20 years, and your career's a little different than mine as well. <laughs> we all love Tommy, but uh, I sympathize for you, Keith. It's, it's, it's laborious. Carrying him around is a lot of trouble. <laughs> hey, I carry, I carry your bags, though, KJ. Well, Mike, this is front row Knowles, not front row Saints, but when Jameis Winston is in the news, obviously Florida State folks are interested. And I want to give credit where credit is due. And I was listening back. I, was it March 19th? Was that the date? But it's at least a month ago when Mike Neighbors predicted and said that Jameis would be a good fit with the Saints and that's where he would land. And lo and behold, you're dead on. You know, a blind squirrel, as they say, guys. But I'll take it when I can get it. I never thought Tom Brady would come to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I thought Manziel would be a decent pro. So I'll take this Jameis Winston stuff. Well, I can't, you know, I don't know how good it's going to be for the Saints, Tom and Keith, but I think it's good for Jameis Winston, obviously for a number of reasons. You know, sure, he wanted to be a starter this offseason. He thought the market would be better. But I think, you know, in part, it was Jameis making a lot of mistakes with the Bucks. But another side of that is the NFL market, there's not a lot of openings for starting quarterbacks in the league. I mean, if you look at the Los Angeles Chargers, you know, they have Tyrod Taylor. They knew they were going to draft somebody, so Jameis didn't have an opening there. So, I think it hurt Jameis by the way he played down the stretch for the Bucks, but also with the market. But I think it's good for him in New Orleans because he can learn under Sean Payton and Drew Brees. And I think it's great if he doesn't play for the whole year, he can take a deep breath and for the first time in his football life not be the guy. And sometimes that's a good thing. He can sit back and learn 
how he can be better and how he cannot make these mistakes moving forward. And, you know, Teddy Bridgewater came into New Orleans in a different situation, not making those mistakes, but he was injured. And Sean Payton revitalized his career. He just signed that $60 million deal with Carolina. So I think if Jameis plays his cards right, either he'll eventually be the starter in New Orleans or he could be the starter somewhere else. Mike, that Peyton-Breeze combo, and I want you to expand upon that, has been good for the backups. The backups have, have learned. Breeze has evidently been a very great teacher. And, of course, we know what Peyton can do from an offensive standpoint. So you're, I, I think there's as much there as you're talking about for the backups to learn as opposed to just getting playing time. No doubt about it, Keith. You know, Bruce Arians, I have a lot of respect for him. They call him the quarterback whisperer. But I, I see a big difference between Bruce Arians and Sean Payton and that Bruce Arians inherited a lot more talent than Sean Payton did. I mean, he inherited the Peyton Mannings of the world, the Andrew Lux, a lot of guys – who already were pretty good quarterbacks. If you look at Sean Payton, you know, a lot of people like to point to this example. If Drew Brees would have gone to Miami instead of New Orleans, how would his career have been different? I don't think he would have been the same quarterback learning under Nick Saban as he has under Sean Payton. So Sean Payton's definitely made Drew Brees a future Hall of Famer, but he's also really helped Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater is a better quarterback, but he's also developed the Taysom Hill factor in the NFL. So I think if you look at their resumes, both are impressive with Bruce Arians and Sean Payton, but I think Sean Payton potentially can do more for Jameis Winston just because of his background and the way he's developed quarterbacks. I want to go back to something you said about Winston, and that is that he could end up being the starter after Breeze. Now, the Saints just re-signed Taysom Hill, too, and they obviously love what he brings. What would Jameis have to do for that to be the scenario? I mean, he'd need a window of opportunity like what Bridgewater got last year where he started and won five games. Wouldn't he need something like that to make them think that? Yeah, I think that's the tricky dynamic. But I think nationally, people think Taysom Hill is the heir apparent. I'll tell you this in New Orleans, guys. A lot of people I know, a lot of players who are close to this franchise, they think Taysom Hill will never be the starting quarterback in New Orleans. Now, you hear Sean Payton say different things. And I think, you know, he has a lot of respect for Taysom Hill. But the bottom line is, and this is the reason a month ago I thought Jameis would be a good fit in New Orleans, is you had to have that backup quarterback for Taysom Hill to be Taysom Hill, to be that Swiss Army knife. Because if Taysom Hill's a backup quarterback, he can't be that kind of player. And, you know, Taysom Hill, guys, he's going to turn 30 years old in August. I mean, that, he's four years older than Jameis Winston. But I think if Jameis Winston shows Sean Payton, I don't know what kind of preseason we're going to have this year. That's another tricky part of this. But if he shows him in practice and, in, and maybe if they have a preseason, if they move this NFL season like I'm hearing to maybe uh, late September or October, he's going to have to show him a lot. But – I think, you know, he has the potential and he has the opportunity if Drew Brees does retire after last year to already have his foot in the door. If they bring in somebody else, he's going to know the system. He's going to have that comfort level with Sean Payton. Even if he doesn't play a game, I think that will work to his advantage. You see Brees playing one or two years. Do you have an opinion? It depends on if he wins at all. Keith, I thought he was going to retire actually in the Pro Bowl. I was wrong on that one. I know he had a lot of discussions with networks about TV jobs and, and talking to Drew at the Pro Bowl, Drew's like a lot of these starting quarterbacks in the social media age, guys. He knows what to say and what not to say. But when I asked him about TV, he just lit up and he said, you know what? I'm going to be good at this. It's something I'm going to do in the future. And I knew at the time he was talking to a lot of networks 
And now it comes out that he's going to have that job at NBC waiting for him. I think the interesting dynamic is he and Tom Brady are in the same division. And those guys are as competitive as it comes. If, <laughs> I think it may be a staring contest for a while. So to answer your question, a lot depends on if they win it all. If they win it all, I think it's a no-brainer. But if they don't win it all and Tom Brady's still around and they're kind of going back and forth with that all-time touchdown record, don't underestimate that either. Man, that's an interesting dynamic. You know, Saints fans, and obviously I married somebody from New Orleans, so I'm a little plugged in over there, Mike. They're not exactly overwhelmed about the Jameis news, but then you have the the Tampa contingent. Fans were done with Jameis, but they're, and probably more than half. But there was a contingent who wanted Jameis back, and now they're convinced that he's going to wind up being a 12-year starter in New Orleans after Breeze is done and just beat the Bucks every year. So <laughs> it's going to play out, but they're going to see each other twice a year. Well, you know, you never want to see anybody get hurt, especially your franchise quarterback. But we saw Drew Brees get hurt for the first time for a for a long, long, you know, few games there since he's been in New Orleans. Say, can you guys imagine if something happens to Drew Brees and Jameis is the backup? And you know, those two games, Brady and Brees, before you know, when the schedule comes out in the next week or two, those are going to be two primetime games. They have to be. But if something happens to Brees and Jameis is the starter, and it happens to be the week they play in Tampa. Grab your popcorn, right? I mean, that's going to be fun stuff. (laughs) How close was Jameis to still being the quarterback in Tampa? Was it simply the before the last three games or even the last pass of the season? Would he have been the Bucs quarterback? You know, I think he would have been. It was not a December to remember for Jameis Winston because he had that nice winning streak in November. And it looked like he was kind of coming into his own with Bruce Arians in the offense, but he had that horrific month of December. And Bruce Arians said it a couple weeks ago. He was the third guy. I mean, it was Tom Brady. They were all in on Tom Brady. And then, frankly, I don't think they thought they were going to get Tom Brady. It just kind of worked out that way. But Bridgewater was the focus. If it wasn't Tom Brady, it was going to be Teddy Bridgewater. But if Bridgewater hadn't worked out, Maybe if Carolina swooped in and got him, I think James Winston would be with the Bucks. I mean, that's how crazy this all played out. Man, meanwhile in New Orleans, the way they've been doing their contracts, they just kick and keep kicking everything forward. So when Breeze is done, are they just going to sign up for a year where they're terrible? Or are they, are they going to extend? You know, like if he retires this year, it's such a salary cap hit. Are they going to restructure again and pay him? a buck a year for the next million years? I mean, how are we going to work this? <laughs> the salary cap situation in New Orleans, Tom, it reminds me of my credit card in college. You know, I'd pay that minimum payment for a while, and then all of a sudden, you know, you got to pay. you got to pay. There's a lot of more money in that balance, and that's what's going to come to it. And here's the other dynamic with the Saints, is that they had that great draft class in 2017, you know, with the Lattimores and Ryan Ramchick, the great offensive lineman, Alvin Kamara. They have five starters from that draft class. Well, those guys' contracts are due. Their second contract's coming up. They can't keep all those guys. So not only are they going to have the cap problems, but they're going to have the problems of re-signing guys. So if Jameis Winston takes over, you know, he's not going to have the same team and the same depth. And, and they know they're all in at this point. So you know, they have to have the backup quarterback they can count on, like Bridgewater and like Jameis Winston now, because they have a team, if Drew Brees goes down, that they feel with a veteran backup is still a playoff team. But what the point you know, a, I was going to say, Tommy, it's just amazing how the business of the NFL continues to be as important as the product on the field. We, when you've seen what's happened to Fournette, you see Jadavian Clowney, you know, when you get into that second contractor, in those guys' case, maybe the third contract, you know, it is about the money. It, it really is. And, and you know what? It, I think the good teams in the NFL, because of that, 
they have to prepare for guys leaving those teams. And the Saints have done a great job of that. I mean, a small example is they lost safety Von Bell, and they knew they'd have to pay him, but they drafted you know, the former Gator guy, Chauncey Garner-Johnson, and groomed him for that job last year. And now he'll step in, and he'll be the guy this year. I think the good teams, the Saints, the Patriots, the Ravens draft really well. That's why they stick around for so long in the salary cap era, because they anticipate losing players. And frankly, the Bucks haven't done a good job of that until recently. And you see the Browns repeatedly not doing it, and the Bengals. And that's why you have the haves and the have-nots in the NFL. All that said, Mike, the scenario you just presented about the credit card payment coming due for the Saints – it almost feels like the best-case scenario for Jameis is to get some mop-up duty, maybe a couple starts and play well, have a little bit of leverage because maybe the Saints are kind of interested, but, but then go elsewhere if there's a better opportunity in terms of supporting cast around him. Otherwise, he's potentially back to a situation like Tampa where he didn't have all the parts and pieces around him. You know, you make a good point, and, and for all the blame that the Bucks fans want to put on Jameis Winston, and there is some blame there, this is still a concern for the Bucks right now. Their offensive line is, is one of the most overpriced units in, in NFL history. I mean, they're paying that offensive line so much money. There are no pro bowlers on that offensive line for the Bucks. Nobody who's frankly even close to playing at that level. And Jameis never had a running game with the Bucks. Now he had Doug Martin and Spurts there, but it was never a consistent running game. And Jameis had to do a lot. And if you look at the track record of quarterbacks in the Bruce Arians system, you know, even Carson Palmer threw a ton of picks his first year, Peyton Manning, you know, Andrew Luck, a lot of these guys. So I think they knew that the second year would be better under Jameis. They were going to get him more help on that offensive line and the running game. So I think Jameis looking from afar at the running game, if they bolster it, they really haven't done that for Tom Brady, but they drafted an offensive lineman. I mean, he's got to be thinking, man, if I had more help, I think I would have played better with the Bucks. Now, but come on, Mike. Gronkowski's going to catch 80 passes and 14 touchdowns, and Tampa Bay's going to go all the way. You think so, huh? I, 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 here's my thing with the Gronk is I don't know how healthy he can stay, and they don't need a tight end. I mean, they had O.J. Howard. They had Cam Bray. They need a running game. They, they needed – you know what? They needed Cam Akers. I, I think that would have been a good pick. They, they needed Dalvin Cook a couple of years ago, and I think Jameis' career would have been different in Tampa. And, frankly, I, I, I think, you know, moving forward, Tom Brady's might be – I mean – they have Ronald Jones, a guy who was drafted in the second round who can't pass protect. He's not a, you know, a four-down running back. I don't really know what they're going to do at running back. I think that's a big problem for the Bucs, frankly, moving forward. So Brady's moved to Tampa. Obviously, it seems to be a lot bigger play in terms of, you know, how he's going to establish himself in the community and all the other stories that are going on there. Uh, if he can find the right house. If he can find the right house. <laughs> but, but what do you think the on-field is going to be with him? Because this could tarnish his – I mean, we've got this whole, is it Brady, is it Belichick? Well, if Brady and the Bucks go 8-8, eight and eight, where's that answer going to be, you know? Well, it, it goes back to my point with Breeze and Peyton. Is it Breeze or is it Peyton? And I think it's both. And I still think it's both with Belichick and Brady. It'll be interesting to see now that they're not together. But, you know, you brought up Gronk, and, and I don't mean to minimize that. I mean, having Gronk there, having the comfort level, especially – and I don't care you know, how many years you're in the league. I mean, they're going to tweak that offense and help Tom Brady because – Traditionally, Bruce Arians doesn't like throwing to the tight end, and they're obviously going to change that now with, with Tom Brady in there. But I think having Gronk there is going to help a lot of tangible things, you know, off the field too, having that comfort 
level, both learning the offense at the same time. But, yeah, that's going to be a storyline all year. You know, did Tom Brady win this week? Did Bill Belichick win this week? We're going to have the scoreboard all season long, and it's going to, you know, kind of affect that legacy a little bit. But I think, boy, you know, there's, there are bigger concerns in the world right now, guys. But, of course, we're covering football. If, if everything plays out and they play a full schedule, boy, it's going to be so much fun in that division all season long, just the back and forth. You know who does win every week? Mike Neighbors, our guest. Appreciate it, sir. Anytime. I enjoyed it, guys. He is with Cox Sports Television, Saints TV host. Good buddy of mine from back in the neighborhood, Sunday nights on WTXL. You can find that in the black and white VHS collection somewhere, maybe on eBay for like 46 cents. Catch up again soon. I loved it, man. Anytime. All right. Thanks, back Mike. With, back with more Front Row Knowles after this. I was flying. Yeah, right. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Good content as always. Enjoyed that conversation with Mike Neighbors. He and I have been friends for a long time after being colleagues. Strange to think of Jameis being over in New Orleans now. I don't know if anything else caught your attention with that. But I am curious to see if Winston is able to rehab his image, so to speak, and get another chance. Because if he does so, he's only 26. I mean, he's got a chance at still two more big contracts if he becomes a starter somewhere else. Well, and we talked about the fact that under uh, uh, Peyton and with the guidance of uh, Breeze, you know, there is a track record there. Just look at Bridgewater. He was able to convert a backup role. Now, he did get to play five games. I think he had, I think he won all five of them, didn't he? So, he had a little bit more on, of tape, but he was able to parlay that into 60-plus million. So, a, a, a track record for Jameis. And I've also read you know, he's, he's basically said he wants to check his ego at the door. It's like going back to college. He wants to, you know, just be a sponge and absorb and learn. And if he can do that, then obviously he'll reap the benefits of whatever's there available to him. Time will tell as we get to the next chapter of the Jameis Winston story. Speaking of being able to cash in, big news that we didn't talk about earlier in the show regarding name, image, and likeness. And we'll get to that momentarily. First, I need to remind you that you should visit Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, they're at 3269 Crawfordville Highway or 1110 Stuckey Avenue. You can call them at 580-1200, visit them online at ctf.nu. They will help you with all your power tool needs, your do-it-yourself projects, whatever it is, go tell Ron that we said hello and thank him and thank their longtime support of Front Row Knowles and uh, this program. So thank you, thank you, Ron. AJ, name, image, likeness, NIL. We talked about this, I think, even going back to – last fall probably this this has been kicked around for a while and there's there's really been two camps there's been the student athletes get enough when you factor in cost of attendance and scholarships and all that and then there's the other side of the coin which is this is america and students regular students can do whatever they want they can make money on their name and so we've been in this argument for a while but i will say the states forced the ncaa's hand on this a little bit this started with legislation in california that was three years out 
the Florida legislature met this year and put together a bill that would take effect a year from now. So they really forced the NCAA timeline up. And today we get news that the NCAA is going to move forward in some shape or form or fashion with NIL rights for student athletes, starting with the 21-22 fiscal and academic year. The floor is yours. Well, I'm of the camp that I guess would be the former and that I think they get enough. But obviously, uh, I am in the minority and a growing, uh, excuse me, a smaller growing minority. Um, it's going to move forward. What uh, will be presented, I think, has not been clearly pointed out uh, other than, um, you know, kids will have the opportunity to hire the equivalent of an agent as long as they don't do anything related to professional athletics. In other words, they can hire a talent scout, if you will, and that the universities are prohibited from paying or being a part of the chain of payment. And then the last thing is that there'll have to be a reporting mechanism where the students will, the student athletes will report, you know, what that contract is and how much they're getting paid and that type of thing. But as with anything related to governance, you know, the, the details are going to be what's interesting. And I'm sure there's some creative uh, folks out there that'll push the boundaries. And that's what worries me about it as well as, and we won't go down in the weeds, but you know, discourse in the locker room, you know, I'm, I'm starting, I'm right beside you. I'm offensive lineman. I'm the, I'm the guard. You're the tackle and you're bringing in, you know, $7,000 a month from a car dealership. We always use car dealerships, by the way, that's our go-to. And I'm, I'm getting a hundred bucks cause I, I somewhere and signed an autograph, but yet we're both getting graded the same and I'm being punished when I mess up and you're being punished when you mess up and nobody cares, but you've got $7,000 a month in the bank that I don't. I just think it's going to lend to problems, but you know, I am uh, without question old school. So maybe I'm uh, way off base here. We've talked previously that, and you just said that the devil's in the details and the governance will get complicated. They're going to hammer this out in January of 21. That's when they'll come up with some more details and universities and college athletic departments can react accordingly, but there's going to need to be a shift in compliance focus from what they've been doing over here to now doing this. And that comes in the midst of an era where because of COVID-19 athletic departments are trying to figure out candidly and some have already done it, where can they eliminate staff positions? So you're going to be downsizing potentially. I'm not saying that's imminent at FSU, but it might happen because of budget concerns downsizing at the same time that you potentially need staff to police this new era or period of NIL. Well, and what if you've got a local business person in Tuscaloosa? We'll pick on Alabama. You got a local business person in Tuscaloosa that was paying the rights holder for University of Alabama $50,000 a year to be on the radio. And they can't afford that anymore or don't want to pay that anymore, but they'll pay the starting quarterback at Alabama $25,000 a year to go on local radio. Well, now the university's out 50, the student gets 25, and the university's going to know about it. How's that going to work and play out? That's one of the many questions out there. We'll see. And uh, that seems so far off to think about 21-22 when we're worried about if we're playing in 2021 right now. But maybe, No question. Maybe we'll just push that to the back burner, and we'll go back to the front burner, which is the on-field stuff, which is always more fun. That's why we're into sports to begin with. And uh, hopefully, as we move forward uh, – We'll get closer to being back on the field. Keith, we're out of time. Good to catch up as always. One of these days we'll break bread together whenever we're allowed to do so again. But uh, good seeing you. 
talking to you. Hopefully we'll get hopefully we'll get back in that Prime Meridian Bank studio. I I I, I don't mean this as as adamantly as I say it, but you know I kind of miss your ugly face other than on Zoom. I hear you. I hear you. Well, at least I'm still here weekly via Zoom just to make your week. We will do this again next Wednesday, folks. Thanks for tuning in as always. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you as always on Front Row Knowles. We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control.